I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. This is part one of our intro series, Stuff You Should Know. 
which will cover some background and context into the life and times of Shakespeare, because art is influenced by the world around it, you know? In this episode, we'll be covering some basic information about the monarchy and British Renaissance. First, let's talk about the monarchy. The first line of monarchs of the British Renaissance is the Tudor dynasty. The Tudor dynasty rose to power after the War of the Roses in 1485. The War of the Roses was a series of conflicts between supporters of two different factions of a royal house that resulted in the overthrow of one faction, the House of York, and the rise of a new royal house, the House of Tudor. We'll be talking a lot more about this when we get to Shakespeare's Henriad, or the Henry plays. England had a lot of unrest prior to the Tudor dynasty. The feudal system was unraveling, and there were loads of social and financial troubles following the Hundred Years' War. But by the early decades of the Renaissance, England was a relatively peaceful country under their second Tudor ruler, King Henry VIII. Yes, he's the same king who beheaded his wife because they didn't produce male heirs, and people of the time just didn't understand that the sex of a child is attributed to sperm, not female reproductive organs, or witchcraft, which he accused a couple of his wives of being witches because they weren't giving birth to baby boys. And witchcraft was very much a thing that people believed in, very popular at this time, and very demonized at this time. It was a very legitimate thing to accuse someone of being a witch. You don't get your way because you're a man. You know what? Just accuse somebody of witchcraft and boom, all your problems are solved. Really great out. Maybe it's witchcraft. Maybe it's the patriarchy. Anyway, during the British Renaissance, England saw a high turnover of rulers to the throne. First was King Henry VII, who ascended to the throne after the War of the Roses. Second, his son, King Henry VIII, that bloke we just mentioned who wanted to get a divorce from his first wife because she hadn't produced a male heir. Divorce was banned by the Catholic Church, so he decided to split with the Catholic Church and formed the Church of England. He was declared its supreme ruler so that, yes, he could finally get that divorce. He had a total of six wives in his lifetime, and a great way to remember what happened to his wives is a little school rhyme, one died, one survived, two divorced, two beheaded. Third is Henry VIII's son, King Edward VI, who had a short reign of a few years until he died of tuberculosis. Fourth was Lady Jane Grey, a great-granddaughter of Henry VII, who had one of the shortest reigns in history of nine days because... Fifth, Mary Tudor deposed Lady Jane Grey and ascended to the throne as Queen Mary I of England. Queen Mary I was called Bloody Mary due to her severe persecution of Protestant heretics, whom she, a devout Catholic, burned at the stake in the hundreds. Think about the Protestants the next time you go to brunch. Yikes. Now you'd think after all of this drama, we'd have settled on a ruler, right? Well, five years after Queen Mary I ascended to the throne, she died of the flu. Sixth was her half-sister, the most famous Tudor ruler, Queen Elizabeth I, who ascended to the throne in 1558. And unlike the turnover rate of the last 73 years, Elizabeth I stayed on the throne from the age of 25 until her death at the age of 69. The Elizabethan era named for her rule, is said to be the height of the British Renaissance, or the Golden Age, and it's the era Shakespeare was born into. Elizabeth I's rule was also the last of the Tudor dynasty. Following Elizabeth I's death in 1603 with no descendants from the Virgin Queen, the ascension of the throne went to... 
Seventh, King James I, also James VI in Scotland, of the Stuart dynasty. He ruled for 22 years during the Jacobean era, named after the Latin word for James. His rule is remembered by the publication of the King James Bible, as well as the first half of the Thirty Years' War. Shakespeare also died during this era. Now, there were rumors surrounding James I's death. Some say his partner, yes, James was suspected to be gay, Buckingham had poisoned him, but there was no evidence of foul play. Okay, we are almost done with the monarchs. I promise, eighth and last, who we will briefly mention was James I's second son, King Charles I. His reign was fueled by political conflict between the royalists and the parliamentarians. The English Civil War took place during his rule, and after its end in 1651, Charles I had been executed, the British Renaissance was over, and the monarchy saw less divine power due to the rise of the Commonwealth and Puritanism. Now to rewind a little, like we said, William Shakespeare lived during the British Renaissance and, specifically, the Elizabethan era. He worked in the public theaters of London during the Golden Age of England. Now, when we said the Renaissance, you likely thought of the Italian Renaissance, which was a period of European history when culture transitioned from the philosophies of the European Middle Ages into those of modernity. The Renaissance took place from roughly the 14th century until the 17th century. The capital of the Renaissance was Florence, Italy. By the 1400s, Italian philosophy and culture was shifting from the rejection of intellectualism from the medieval period to a flowering of humanism and the rediscovery of classical philosophy. A simplified definition of humanism is this, a philosophical stance that emphasizes the value and agency of human beings individually and collectively. Humanism manifested itself into art, architecture, politics, science, and literature. The Italian Renaissance saw many famous figures who helped shape Western culture that we see to this day. Popular names you may have heard of include scholar Petrarch, artist Michelangelo and da Vinci, sculptor Bernini, and the House of Medici, a famous Italian banking and political dynasty that invested in a mass art collection that you can view at the Uffizi in Florence. The Renaissance was also the height of navigational and geographical exploration, which includes Christopher Columbus's 1492 expedition. And I just want to say... Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Christopher Columbus. I guess we're going to like have to do some editing and bleep that out. We are recording this episode before Indigenous Peoples Day. It was formerly, well, I guess technically it's still considered Christopher Columbus Day, but we don't really want to recognize him for the things that he did, like genocide and stealing land. Instead, uh, I think that we should take a moment and just acknowledge the historical occupants and caretakers of the land that we're recording from. So personally, I am speaking from unceded Nishinan land. What about you? I am on um, Plains Miwok land. And I know that because there is a number you can text if you're interested in finding that out. The phone number is 907-312-5085. In your text message, just Put in the city and state that you're living in, and you'll get a response that tells you you are on this tribe's land. And if you aren't in the States for that number to work for you, you can also head to native-lands.ca 
and look up where you are on their incredible interactive map and learn more about the people and nations who you are living on. Now, this is a podcast about William Shakespeare in London, not Florence. When did the Renaissance arrive in England? How did that look? The Renaissance style was slow to permeate in England. Some scholars and art historians say it wasn't prominent until the Elizabethan era. Again, the era Shakespeare lived in. But to give some context for the shift in culture, let's start our discussion at the first Italian to step on English soil. About 50 years before Shakespeare's birth, in 1507, a Florentine sculptor, Pietro Torgiano, fled Italy and arrived in London. He was forced to flee after he, in a fit of jealousy, broke the nose of the famous and beloved artist Michelangelo. When he arrived in England, he brought with him artistic styles already popular in England. He was commissioned by Henry VIII, our second Tudor king, to design and sculpt a tomb for his father, Henry VII, our first Tudor king. This tomb at Westminster Abbey was described by 20th century art historian Sir John Pope Hennessy as the finest Renaissance tomb north of the Alps. Another important foreigner was Swiss portrait painter Ambrosius Holbein, who, in 1526, brought portrait painting to England at a time when portrait painting was nearly unheard of. His portraits show a new class of people, merchants, couriers, and scholars. He even drew women, and they're really realistic looking, which wasn't the medieval style. Lastly, we'll mention the English poet Thomas Wyatt, who traveled to Italy and was so inspired by Petrarch's sonnets that he wrote his own poetry in this incredibly human and raw style, virtually unheard of during the medieval era. These are just a few of the early Renaissance art figures that shaped the period. There are more figures that we could go into, and the innovations expand into more than just art and literature. There was also innovative Renaissance architecture, science, philosophy, music. But this isn't a Renaissance podcast, and we don't have enough time to cover everyone else's contributions in this episode. The big takeaway is that artists were becoming more humanist, attaching more importance to the human condition rather than the supernatural of religion. Artists were painting and drawing realistically, and they were including coded messages in their works. We can read and hear this influence in Shakespeare's plays, and it's plausible to argue humanism might not have reached England by Shakespeare's lifetime if these Europeans hadn't traveled to England. But before we leave our episode on the British Renaissance, it's important to talk about one last major influence, navigation and exploration. Because Shakespeare would have been influenced by the excitement and curiosity surrounding travel, we see many of his characters traveling by sea to foreign lands and, in the case of The Tempest, one might say colonizing, a quintessentially English idea. You see, the British Renaissance was motivated by an English inferiority complex that motivated Brits to show how wonderful England was as they rose to the Italian challenge. A major example of this is the creation of the English Empire. This idea is credited to John Dee, a Welsh advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, who, in 1577, while Shakespeare was a boy, wrote a text called The General and Rare Memorials Pertraining to the Perfect Art of Navigation. And I do want to say I am just pronouncing that word as it is written, P-E-R-T-R-A-Y-N-I-N-G. <laughs> uh Early modern spelling is creative, to say the least. That would probably be pertaining, but there's a full-on R in the middle of that word. If you type pertraining into a Google search, 
it will come out pertaining the contemporary spelling of the word. Yeah. Early modern English spellings were changing constantly. And as people were figuring out like an agreement on how words should be spelled, it's still the English that we use today. It's just a a more loose form of the same words. So there's not, you know, agreed upon uh, way to spell things at this point in English, even though it's if you look back at things as they were written, you can read them. It's not like going back to Beowulf where you need a full translation because it doesn't even sound like English. Uh, The words sound the same. They just look a little different. You can also see early modern spellings in Shakespeare's work. Like if you go to a museum and see an original folio or if you go online and look at photocopied versions you'll see that a lot of the spelling is phonetic and some of the letters are switched like an F will be written when it means to be an S. It was changing and people were figuring it out for themselves or coming up with how they would spell it. Even Shakespeare like spelled his name like at least seven different ways during his lifetime. This text provided Elizabeth I with a vision of an English empire in the quote-unquote new world. Dee convinced her to commission ships to create it. Many scholars also view Dee as inspiration for the Tempest Prospero and the quote-unquote savagery found in the New World as inspiration for Caliban. Other famous English explorers include Sir Walter Raleigh, who was granted a royal patent to explore North America and colonize Virginia for England, and Sir Francis Drake, who circumvented the globe and even claimed California for England, sparking conflict with the Spanish over the West Coast. And I do want to point out that there are other ways of viewing these explorers, these colonizers, um, rather than recognizing them and calling them those words. It's also another narrative to call them invaders and thieves because they were going to land that didn't belong to them, stealing things that didn't belong to them. And yeah, that's another way to consider it. England during Shakespeare's life was mostly under Tudor rule. It was a rapidly changing culture that predated Shakespeare but thrived during his lifetime. And all of these elements are vital building blocks for discussing his plays. That's pretty much it for this episode. Next episode, we will dive even further into stuff you should know in parts two and three of our intro series. In part two, we look at Elizabethan England and Elizabethan theater. In part three, we look at the man himself, William Shakespeare. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Richard III, Act 2, Scene 4, said by Queen Elizabeth.
insulting tyranny begins to jet upon the innocent and aweless throne. <laughs>